studio up. Mm. We're actually here. Let's see here. So we're just waiting for Laura to come on. Honey, we're yeah. on. All right. What, what was that? Oh, she says she's backstage. I don't know how to bring her up to front stage. Did you, honey, did you come in on the new link? Yeah. Oh. Huh. That's weird. Well, well, well. Let's hear how it sounds with. Hey, can, can you hear me okay? I can hear okay. you. No echoes, no weirdness? Nope. Oh, good. I'll do it without the headphones. I can be straight up. Are we are we live? Are people we are live, live, but it's okay. We can wait for her to come. There she is. Here I am. All right. Hi, honey. So, hi, hi everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. Hey, I Pesci. want to, I want to welcome everybody today that might be tuning in on this Sunday afternoon, unless they're at the beach or something. But uh, I want to thank you guys for coming. This is Scott Slaughter and Laura Robbins and. <laughs> Welcome to the corner. We're going to talk about a rehab romance today. That's right. But first and <laughs> foremost, I want to get to know you guys uh, uh, first. I mean, I, I know you guys, but I know you from certain circles. Um, and we'll go with ladies first. Laura, tell us about yourself, where you're from originally, growing up a little bit, what it was like, what happened, and what became. <laughs> and then we'll go into Scott's story, too. Mm. Um First of all, thank you so much for having us. Um, really excited to be here. I where I where I'm from is a whole hour, so I'll try to condense it. <laughs> I was born in Chicago. I was in Cambridge, Mass, until I was 12. Berkeley, California, till I was um, 20. Then Fort Lauderdale, and I've been in Los Angeles since 1988. Woo! Yeah, you've been. A been in LA for a while. Okay, cool. I've been in LA for a while. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, I was in my 20s here. I got married here. I had my two sons here at Cedar Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. Nice. Um, my kids are 21 and 23 now. My older one's a chef. My younger one is in his last year at Chapman in their screenwriting program. And um, I've been uh, sober. It'll be 13 years next month on okay. August 14th. And that I count that as my sobriety date, even though Scott and I did meet in treatment on July 14th, 2008. Okay. I was a really progressed alcoholic and had to be medically detoxed while I was there. I don't know which day it is in that 30 days that I was free of everything. So I just count it as the day that I left. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm a writer and a podcaster and I, I, I call myself a freelance culture writer. I write about race a lot. I also write about recovery and I write about relationships. I love it. I love it yeah. very much. So you said just alcohol, right? No drugs, nothing like that. Oh no, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, you had the I, drugs in the mix. I rarely even talk about this because it's it's so distracting. But I was addicted to a sleeping pill called Ambien. Ooh. That's what brought me in. I know um, Ambien all too well. Yeah, I used to boost it with alcohol, um, but alcohol yes. was not my primary drug of choice. I was 
I was, I was gonna I was gonna addicted. ask you, did you ever mix the two and you Oh yeah, of course. I was a pro, but I you know, I, I figured out all the ins and outs of being an ambient drug addict, but I um but I was I was heavily addicted to that and that's what I went to treatment to detox from. From the ambient? Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then Scott. Um, I'll give you a brief, I'll give you the brief schematic. First of all, we're both in the same house. So I'm just downstairs. She's upstairs. And, uh, okay. Let's see. I, uh, let's say I spent the first 18 years of my life in Virginia, in Richmond. Okay. Um, got out of there about 1986, went to Utah. Uh, Utah was like the, uh, endless college I'd never had. I lived in park city. I was a skier and I lived a really simple life there and partied a lot um 10 years no 13 years ago um state of utah asked me to leave they they, they were like la might be better off with you um, right 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 based on park, my drinking park city is like the la of utah <laughs> well it, it became a transplant for la for sure and uh yeah. i got out of uh i got out of there in 2008 i guess 2009 i came to los angeles um i got a couple kids i got two daughters i have a, a 17 year old and a 22 year old um, you know, I've been a number of things in my life, but I'm currently, um, uh, a podcast co-host and a producer of a podcast. I'm a sober man and, uh, I'm a father, um, and my partner to Laura Cathcart and Robbins and, uh, we're a team. So, uh, we met 13 years ago on that day that she talked about, um, we were actually one hour apart, um, from walking in, like they gave us numbers. I don't, I don't, you've been to treatment patch. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. So they give you numbers there. And uh, I was number uh, 412 and she was 4, 411. She had walked in just literally an hour before I walked in in Arizona. So we had both convened on Arizona uh, as their place of recovery. Um, and uh, yeah, I came to Los Angeles just about, uh, I don't know what, honey, a month after rehab, after, after yeah, roughly-ish a month. Um, I couldn't make it in Utah. She said, uh, why don't you come check out Los Angeles? They got great recovery. I, I never had heard of a place having a reputation for great recovery at that right. point. You know, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> and she was right. Yeah, she was. You know, actually, I remember walking into a meeting at Moore Park, one of my first meetings. And uh, there was such a diverse uh, gathering of people that spoke my language that I could not deny that I had found something that I'd not seen before. You know, I came into Los Angeles and was like, well, he and she and they, and they all said the same thing I felt. And, mm -hmm. uh, there was something undeniable about that. So, um, I got sober a few months after she did. I still had a few hall passes to, uh, to run through before I would throw up my hands and surrender. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll be 13 in December. I'll be 13 years sober, uh, December 19th uh, of this year. So, so you guys are class of 2008 together, right? I mean, both we of you are, are class right? of 2008. Yeah. She just got sober just a little bit before you. Yeah, she got she got it. She kept it a little longer. She got. She's one of those unique people that gets out of rehab and stays sober, which I think is uh, an anomaly. I think there are less people that stay sober straight out of rehab than have to go out and do a little more research. Well, it's interesting you say that because I, I went to rehab one and only time, but I was naive and I guess it worked to my benefit because when I was in there, I thought, okay, well, this is it. Like this is the end of the road. Everybody's going to stay sober here. So I mm -hmm. guess I got to stay sober. I didn't realize that 
over a period of time, not everybody stays sober. So, uh, but you know, that was my one and only time going to treatment and, and I'm happy that I did. So, all right. So this is a, this is somewhat of a hot topic, like what we're going to talk about today, rehab romance. I met you guys probably about seven years ago. I had seen you in, in a room in, in LA, Colfax and Addison to be exact. But, um, and you guys would share and I, I, of course, my my wheels started spinning because I hadn't yet met a couple that had successfully that had met in rehab or even met in early sobriety that had successfully um, been able to have a, a good, healthy relationship. But you guys looked healthy during that time. So I, I that's where I actually started to believe that maybe this is possible for some people. Right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like a lot of people say they they, they see that people in recovery, they see that and they think well, they haven't yet done the work on themselves. How can they, what do they have to offer each other? You mm-hmm. know, and then some people say, nowhere in the big book does it say that you can't date in the first year, this and that. But you guys were like straight out the gate. Like you didn't waste any time. It must, How long did it take until you actually um, knew that you wanted to be together? <laughs> I don't know. Actually knew, I think, uh, you know. Look, man, we've been together 13 years and we're not married. So every, I think every day we make a choice to be together. You know, I still think uh, we both are, are very grateful to be in a relationship together. And I think the, there, I think my first marriage was an illusion that I knew that I was going to be in a, a relationship with someone um, that, that didn't involve some work, you know, and yeah. I think re- rehab and I, or I think recovery has allowed me to realize that I don't get to be in a relationship unless I do the work on myself. And, and that was something that I, I think we both kind of agreed on early, right, hon? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking about how, how it actually went down. It, it, I, I think that Scott knew before I did that mm-hmm. this was, this was something, um, I think he was clearer on that than I was. I was, I was really muddled. I, like I said, I was being detoxed in treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, my life was pretty chaotic at home. I was at the tail end of a divorce mm-hmm. and, um, I was, I was not checking for a new romance while I was there at all. Right. Um, and Pat, and- just to let you know, when I met her, I was about two years out of my divorce with my two yeah. kids. So she had two kids. She comes but- into treatment. I'm a couple years, you know, down the road on my divorce um and i see her and i identify with her the first time that way i see her as someone who is about to lose her family you know right. because of drugs and alcohol and i believe that that's the first way i saw you um hun, was as a fellow as somebody else who was uh in trouble you know what i mean had been i had it was somewhere i w- had been basically mm-hmm. yeah i mean and i think that um this is this is what happened, Pej. Like we were absolutely curious about each other in treatment. Um, you know, there were moments there where I might have risked our being kicked out to get closer to him, but mm-hmm. he was really um, well. I mean, he was scared of I getting was scared, kicked dude. out. Yeah, <laughs> and the state and- of Utah was like, if you get kicked out of rehab, you're going to prison, bro. <laughs> but but truly what Scott and I were in, in treatment, we weren't we weren't a hookup in, in rehab. We were we were really good friends, which mm-hmm. even seems odd to say because we were only they we only knew each other 
for a number of days before we became really good friends. It was probably the seventh day when, you know, because because I was detoxing off a of sleep med, I couldn't sleep. I, I mm -hmm. literally did not sleep for the first 11 days. And mm -hmm. I would sit, um, you know, as soon as we were allowed out of our rooms, which was about five in the morning, I would sit on this porch kind of overlooking the, the campus and watch the sunrise. And, and Scott was the only person who would come and sit with me. He didn't say anything to me. He would just sit with me while we, while I sweated and shook. And, you know, I was, I was in really bad shape and he, he just sat there with me and he just kind of hung out with me the whole time. And he was really kind and patient and he was everything that I needed mm -hmm. um, for someone to be. And I, like, I was so unmoored. I was, I was grieving. I was bereft. I was, you know, grieving the end of my marriage. I was grieving the type of mother that I was that wasn't able to be with my kids when mm -hmm. I felt like they needed me. And, you know, he certainly didn't make all of that better, but I would not have stayed if he hadn't been there. I know that for sure. There were several times when I was literally packing a bag and he talked me off a ledge and um, got me to commit to staying for another day or two. Right. And so, so when we got back, um, to our respective homes, him to Utah and, and me to Los Angeles, you know, we, we stayed connected. And when he was having trouble staying sober, I was like, yeah, it's like, you know, this is an old reference, but it was like the Cineplex Odeon of like re of meetings out here. There was a meeting every hour somewhere you could, right. you know, you can come here. He didn't have any meetings um, within walking distance of where he was and he wasn't allowed to drive. So um, he did come out and, you know, he stayed uh, first in a hotel and then in a sober living, but we didn't move in together for six years. Um, oh, wow. I took six years to be a mom to my children. Um, we saw each other on the weekends when my kids were with my, with their dad, but we didn't move in together for six years. We really took a long time to get to know each other. And, and make and work on ourselves. And like Scott referenced, our batting order was always our recovery comes first, our respective families come second, mm -hmm. and then everything, including each other, came third. Okay, I, I love that. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I, I respect that. I really do. Here's the reason. Like, <clears throat> so I have this guy. He calls me sponsor. He called me sponsor. He, he, was, he went through the same treatment center that I went through. And there was a girl there and she was there for primarily for codependency. He was there for alcoholism. And, and, um, I, I just saw their eyes lock. And the next thing you know, they became buddies. And within six months, we're sitting in a family group and he, he leans over to me and whispers in my, I'm already like two years sober, whispers in my ear, I'm going to marry her. Mm. I'm like, all right, buddy. Sure. No problem. And, <laughs> and sure. Like he wasn't kidding. I mean, they ended up having a kid. They never officially got married, but they moved in right away and they, they started this thing. But like at three years of, of, of sobriety, or let's just call it, uh, being like abstinent, but not really doing much work. Um, he called me one night and said that, uh, he was throwing furniture, things, pieces of furniture and things that at her, and they were angry and fighting. And I thought, well, like that, that's pretty much the evidence for me that if you're untreated and you're not really doing the work, how are you going to be able to do that with somebody else? But I like the way that you guys, I, I respect that, that he was there for you in the beginning and that you guys continue to have um, to build this thing. And that's mm -hmm. what really counts. And another thing I want to talk about is like right now I work with some treatment centers and for a while the, the, 
the set point for some treatment centers for a while was you can bring your pet. It doesn't have to be a service dog. Like it can be just the dog. And then more recently, like in the last couple of years, what I've been seeing that's trending in the treatment community is couples are allowed to come. And it's uh, sometimes there are couples that uh, were already in a marriage or a boyfriend, girlfriend, but but they come to treatment together. They get to actually room together. They get to be in the same bed together. And and more often than none, they come. And over a period of time, if they're really serious about sobriety, either one will get well and the other one won't. If they both want to get uh, well, sometimes it just doesn't even work out anymore. Like they realize, I don't even want to be with this person anymore. So this is like the polar opposite of that. It, it, you, it wasn't like you guys were uh, hooking up in detox, right? It's like no. you were just there for each other. So mm -hmm. I respect that a lot. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I'll add a little magic to it. I mean, literally the first time I saw her, I we were in um, uh, like uh, the admission orientation. orientation. So there were six of us in there telling our story, listen to somebody orienting. And I could not stop staring at her. I, I Pat, it was like I it was somebody I had known and hadn't seen in years. And she got up and left during the meeting I and i leaving. got up and laughed right well, behind well, scott i can't i can't blame you i mean look at her like she's a very beautiful <laughs> well, woman I, absolutely but and, you know that's the interesting thing is it was just more this look of extreme curiosity it wasn't like this yeah. total infatuation i was actually very intimidated by her i was yeah. actually very like you know i'd never been with a person um like her and it was it was more this like whoa did you know this, this laura did you know that he was intimidated person. has he told you this before we, you know, oh, yeah. I was so messed up when at this she point so of time high. when he's talking about I, all I remember <laughs> is him coming up next to me and I was annoyed. And I was because I was running for the exit. She was, was headed for the, for the, the exit administration and office to get a ride home. She was like, I'm he's done. Like, hey. Laura's like, just give me the comfort meds, man. Uh, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm zoned out. No. And so he just was just kept talking. And I was like, what is up with this guy? <laughs> Leave me alone. Little Utah boy just like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's four DUIs. Scott was talking a lot. Yeah, right? Come on. <laughs> five, five DUIs. But I knew that I had this feeling that like if she left, you know, that that might be it for her, that she might actually lose her kids. And I think we spent the first couple of weeks talking a lot about if you want to keep your kids, I you know, I, I had come to treatment at that point because I was scared of being alone in the world. I either got arrested, I got, you know, I got totally drunk or I got arrested or I was driving a car and I right. knew that that was dangerous for society. So when I got into treatment, I was like, I'm safe, right? Like I'm good. I, all I got to do is get through this detox thing and I'm safe for a little while. Um, and she was a little bit more like, what am I doing here? Have I made a huge mistake? Um, and I was sitting there assuring her that she hadn't made a mistake, that she was, if she had ended up there. And then when she told me she doctor shopped, I, my heart flipped. I fell in love with her. I was like, oh, you, you doctor shop. That's oh, That's like, <laughs> that's like one addict identifying with another addict in a way that just, oh, you know, for sure. spun me out. And I was like, you know, it, it made me fall more in love with her. And I think we connected, we connected in with that ability to be honest with one another right off the bat a lot. We spent a lot of conversations talking about, you know, these two completely different lives, but these very similar, um, you know, I thought like that acted like, or felt like that kind of, kind of vibe going with it. And that's how our friendship started, I think. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, how come you guys haven't gotten married yet? I mean, I've, I've, for the, for a while now, I've been thinking that you've been married. I almost wanted to come on here today and talk about your marriage. And then you say you're not married. Mm -hmm. Y'all live know. together, right? Yeah, we do. 
Okay, good. Yeah. So, I mean, do you mind, hon, if I? No, please. You're the better storyteller, hon. So I just like to fill in the gaps. I mean, I don't even know if it's just a story, but <laughs> I think when Scott, I was 43 years old when Scott and I met. I was 43 years old when I got sober. I'm turning 57 next week, month. And really? Yeah. Oh, my God. And I know, Scotty right? was, um, he's younger than me. He was 39. He's, you know, he's had been divorced. Um, we each had two children. I was in the middle of a, of a really, um, it was a challenging divorce. I won't say it was contentious, but it was really challenging. And what I found during my divorce process was how difficult it was, how all the paperwork, the legal work to get uncoupled for someone. It wasn't just a matter of, here's what I want to give you. Here's what's okay. Here's how we're going to deal with our kids. It was just, it was you know, my divorce decree was 363 pages. And I spent probably an entire morning signing the, the pages that I needed to sign when, when we got divorced and all that legal work. Like I, I think marriage is a business proposition. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I am not against marriage. I love love. I root for love. And I'm actually, and I'm not saying that I wouldn't ever marry Scott. If, it became necessary for us because of medical reasons or, you know, it might just be so much more beneficial to us for tax purposes or something like that. I'd totally marry him. But, but right now, like he said at the beginning, we're with each other every day, not out of any obligation at all. I'm with him only because I want to be with him. Cause you want to be with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is good well, Paj, I, I think that um, marriage, um, it, it, my experience was when I got married, it, it was like this uh, excuse not to do work. Like you're stuck with me, right? We'll get on the work later. And this choice each day to be together, what it means is when I make a mistake or I do something that I don't feel good about, I have to decide in that moment mm -hmm. to try to make it right. And I feel like that really came from program and learning how to assess how I want to be a better, have better relationships in my life. Um, and that, the 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 ability to weave that into our relationship as i learned it in my recovery has been it's something that i think we count on and i still think that marriage license is just an excuse you know what i mean i mean i know we need legal we need legal coverage in certain areas of our lives if we if we want it from a marriage license but um i still like the idea that we choose each day to be together um instead of i love like, that and that that makes me believe in love too mm -hmm. that that I mean, especially what Laura was saying too. Um, you say that you, Laura, you're a writer and you write about um, race, but also about relationships. Mm -hmm. Is the stuff that you write about relationships, do you base it around your experience with this relationship? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a memoirist. So I only write about my own experience. Mm -hmm. um, so I may take a topic that's about someone else's relationship, but the way I'm going to relate to that is with mine. And it could be mine and Scott's. It could be mine with my kids. It right. could be mine and my ex-husband. It could be mine and my parents, but it'll be a relationship, usually could a romantic be. relationship though. So it's usually my relationship with Scott. Awesome. Yeah. Very nice. Now I want to talk about a couple more things. One is the recovery. I mean, I've because we run in the same circles, I've, I admire both of your recovery. I, yeah. I, I love what you guys do for it. It's real recovery. You're in solution-based uh, arenas, if you will, rooms, if you will. Uh, and, and I really, um, and I love the fact that 
no matter what, whatever had happened, both of your own personal traumas and both of your own personal experiences, you came and you have been in recovery and you've stayed sober. And I love it. I love that. And that, that matters the most. I believe that that's good for, for you both with your kids, with your former partners, with everybody, you know, to just, and also in the community, your up people in the community. And I think you're both dynamic when it comes to, uh, whenever I see you guys, it like, it touches my heart. And I think like there, there's them, like they're, they're an awesome couple. And, um, and so you guys started a podcast. Tell us about that and what it's all about and why you did it. And, uh, you know, how it originated and what, what it consists of. <laughs> uh well first we'll tell we'll tell the recovery piece i think um kind of the recovery piece came before the podcast so you know i think uh you know Pesh, what what's important is that you know laura has her people that she sponsors i have my people i sponsor i we have we uh i call her sponsor sometimes because she loves me and she's mm -hmm. pulling for the relationship um you what you know, just kidding <laughs> I don't call it, but <laughs> I will, I will knock on her door and say, Hey, no, I know, I'm kidding. you know, um, and I don't know, Pesh, I think, you know, one of the really big gifts of recovery is that anytime that Laura and I are going through anything that seems unsolvable, if we both retreat to our corners and take care of our recovery, the problem seems to dissipate. It seems to go away or we find some solution in stepping away from each other instead of more entanglement. Mm -hmm. Um, the podcast is interesting because I think what happened was Laura was making a choice to, um, you know, further her career and become a writer. We decided that that podcasting uh, would be an element of branding her that way. Mm -hmm. And I had a choice. So as a person in recovery and, and a man, I, I think initially I felt a little threatened by this because she's super talented and she's super like she is she is the talent and. I had this choice about how I was going to handle it, whether I was going to go off and try to do my own thing and try to be successful at something else, or mm -hmm. I could try to fit myself into what she was doing and learn how to support her. Um, and so she had the idea and I said, I'll do whatever I can to, to support you. Um, the, I think one of the things about recovery that really reflects in the podcast is that, you know, in a, in a meeting, when somebody tells a story that you've never met, you met, like a person you've never met tells a story that you have an emotional reaction to something magic about that moment, right? Like when you feel something from someone across the room. And I think what we've done in storytelling in our podcast is try to recapture that moment and having people tell stories about themselves so that other people can identify themselves in the story. We try to bring together. So the idea the, the name of the podcast is the only one in the room, but we know that once we tell our story in the room and other people identify it, you're no longer the only one in the room. Um, and that's kind of that was the, the beginning of the process for us. We've since found that the only one in the room is bigger than we are. Like it's there's so many stories out there of people who want other people to know they're not alone, um, that we have basically aligned ourselves to continue to create this this uh, podcast and, and, and bring more stories uh, to bring more people together. Right? Is that pretty good, hon? <laughs> pretty good. Did I leave anything out? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I would say about the recovery piece, you know, I, I got out of treatment and I never intended to stay sober. I, I really just thought I would wait for a year until the heat was off of me and until I was completely divorced. And then I would be able to go back and, and, and use and drink the way that I wanted to, but better, 
I would, I would have, you know, some, some clean time. So I would be able to approach it differently. Wow. And yeah, that was, that was really my, my intent. I, I, I did, I felt sentenced to AA, sentenced to recovery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could say that. It, I don't like to though, but yeah, right. I, I felt sentenced to recovery and I didn't, I didn't want to be in meetings and I didn't want to be, um, I, I'm not a joiner and I didn't want to be a part of anything. And I did not connect with the people um, in the meetings at all until I did. And, you know, when I went to treatment, I was like the PA president at my kid's school and I had just been asked to join the board and I, I presented really well and I wanted to keep up that front and um, it was really important to me and slowly, you know, my insights started to match my outsides and I, I felt more aligned with who I was authentically. Um, the more I, I, I went to meetings, the more I heard people's stories. And so now I talk about, I'm, you know, some people use the word alcohol, dis, um, alcohol use disorder, those words. I, I use alcoholic. I'm really clear that I am one. Um, I understand what that means for me. And I'm also really clear that 12-step recovery is my solution. So I don't have to fight that anymore. I just lean in. And, you know, I have a bunch of women that I kind of take through this program if they want um, that's what we do. And if they don't, it's fine. I'm, I'm still here doing my work. So it's cool. Uh, so after I, that, after that first year, you just had a change of heart, something happened. Was there like, yeah, something happened. I, I was taking, you know, in, in the, the type of recovery that I'm in here in California, there's a cake given to you at a year and, yeah. um, it's presented to you by certain people. And you say, you have a little speech after you take a one year cake. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, someone asked me to sponsor them. And then from that moment on, um, I, I, I was invested and I started reading the book, you know, the, the, the big book is what we call it, our literature with this woman and started finding myself more and more and more in it and became excited and fascinated and curious um, and, you know, just really encouraged that there's a, a diagnosis and a solution, a diagnosis and a solution. Um, so that's, isn't, that was it fa isn't it fascinating how the perception can just change? Yeah. And it's, you know, for me, it's a lesson, A, not to give up on anybody else who doesn't seem to be getting it. But also, um, you know, I can be that message of hope for people, people who don't feel connected when they come in. The other piece was the race piece. You know, Scott had talked about coming into the rooms and it being a really diverse experience. And for him, it was because there was a lot of diversity of stories. But for yeah. me, it was an all white room. And that's what I saw. I didn't see any diversity. There wasn't any visible diversity in that room. Uh -huh. So it really took longer for me to find myself in, in mm -hmm. any of those rooms. And but I did. And so that's another reason um, why I, I, I've learned to have this patience with people and to be that pillar of patience for people who are like, I can't do this. And I'm like, well, I, I thought that too, but then here I am 13 years later and I have, you know, I, I really do have a life I would have never dreamed about with a man mm. that I never dreamed was possible, mm. you know, and, 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 and he's white <laughs> and he's white, which was another thing I had to kind of like, all right, <laughs> this is, this is who I'm supposed to be in love with. So this is who it is. I mean, but Scott, you know, yeah, that gives me butterflies. That makes me feel yeah, good. No, he is, 
That's cool. But he's, he has, because I was so exposed and unable to protect myself in treatment, he saw me in the rawest, most vulnerable way, the way yeah. that I would have never allowed anyone to see me had mm -hmm. I been on the outside. And he loved that person. So we started with that, you know, there, there was no hiding from him and I was loved for it. So that was pretty amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Well, it feels like most relationships start the other way where we present what we want people to see. And then we slowly let them into that other part, that real part. Yeah. Um, and I think that we had the advantage of both of us were stripped down to the bare, you know, here's what I got left basically. <laughs> and, uh, and we got to grow from there. And so honesty, and then, you know, being that our program sort of asks us to really identify with honesty there, it, it became a journey of being honest with one another. You know, we could really practice that part together. And, mm -hmm. You know, I, I agree with Laura that I am so glad that, that, that 12 step recovery is my, my recovery. I'm really the principle living and the idea of using those steps in my day-to-day -day recovery or, um, is just such a gift, you know, it's like, I could, if I just quit and I was still an asshole, I would really, I, I think I'd have to drink again. You know, and if I didn't change the way I participated yeah. in my relationships, I think I would, it would be like, this is a bad deal. But because I got those principles and those ideas and I got to really practice them in a relationship and, and get results, you know, um, it really made it like a, like, this isn't like, I think by a year I was like, this is no brainer. I'm, I'm. My, my father actually died in my first year and mm. I did not get drunk over it. And to me, it really became obvious at that point that recovery was about dealing with life, you know, and, and not dealing with drinking. And, and I made a step away from that. I, that concept of, of having a drink and the idea of like confronting living, like that was my issue. Um, and we right, had the drink, other. the drink is just not an option because recovery is the only way. Mm-hmm. And then walking through my feelings, you know, like had never done that before. <laughs> I love it. And when I was first um, thinking of names for this podcast, for my podcast, I was thinking I had like a whole list of different names and came up with Peggy's Recovery Corner. And like usually when we have it on the YouTube channel, we talk about uh, this is Peggy's Recovery Corner. We talk about all things recovery or lack thereof. And so mm -hmm. it's we, we sometimes get people on here like, you know, like a body broker that's putting people in treatment and thinking that they're a hope dealer. Right. But that's, there's no recovery in that because you're basically just purchasing clients and putting them in places. That's just an example, but I love when people come on and really talk about the recovery process. Some people talk about being an AA. Some people talk about the 12 step process, but that's what it's all about. That's recovery right now, which you guys individually, both of you, the way you described it, I think Laura definitely when you when you saw that somebody was coming to you for help, I mean that's the twelfth step. That's where we actually find the prospect, or the prospect finds us, based off of something that we may have been sharing and never even thought would like capture somebody's heart and ask them to come and ask us for guidance. And then we we feel the sense of purpose in this community. And uh, and you know at the end of the day, I, I tell this to all the youngsters or even some of the oldsters around me. I say you guys can have the best job. Or you can have like the you can be doing great in school and all, but if you're if you're introduced to recovery, something wasn't going right in your life, and if you don't do recovery, you will tank all that stuff. Like mm -hmm. you will not last. I don't care what job you have and how good it pays or whatnot, but you will not do well in that place if you keep if you go back to getting higher, keep go back to drinking. So 
I'm happy that you all stayed sober and I'm happy that you guys came together. Um, it's really like a beautiful relationship. I could see it. Um, your podcast is, how can people find you guys? It's so easy mm-hmm. <laughs> to find us. Yeah. Is it, is it in every platform? Yeah. So it's the only one in the room. Um, you can go to the only one pod.com. That's the only one pod.com. That's our website. And all the episodes are there. All my writing is there. All of our speaking engagements, all of everything is housed there. And you can also go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to Spotify. You can go anywhere you get your podcasts and find the only one in the room. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's great that you're a podcaster, man. I think that's, um, I really love what you're doing as well, Passion. I like how you've combined uh, your enthusiasm for you know, interviewing and your recovery. I think it's, uh, it's super cool. We just had a guy on today who actually, uh, um, drank himself into a, a stroke and, and then kept on drinking. And that was his story. Um, and, and not of all of our stories are about recovery, but we do have recovery stories sprinkled without, you know, throughout. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on today. I love you both very much. Is, is there anything you want to say before we sign off? No. Nah. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. You're, you're just like, your energy is so dope. (laughs) It is. It's like, Uh it's vibrant and it's light and it's inviting. And, um, it's not always that you find an interviewer like that. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you guys very much. And I hope to see you guys soon in those certain areas. If you know what I mean, (laughs) Thanks, (laughs) we'll be there. All right. Signing off. 